Sharon is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. She is my pastor. She and her husband, Pastor Billy Joe, when my husband and I moved out there in 1981, we started at Victory Christian Center just shortly after it began. And uh, they were our pastors. Pastor Billy Joe is in heaven now, but he's in that group that's cheering us on. Amen. He's he's in that group. But uh, we were so blessed to be a part of their team at Victory. And uh, we learned how not to just have faith, but to live faith, to live faith on a daily basis. And many miracles happened in that church. Uh, They have a Bible school out there. They have a mission school. Uh, they, They help the poor up in the north part of Tulsa. They have a dream center. They have many outreaches. And uh, one of the most phenomenal things, I think, is there was an opportunity back in the, was it the 90s, when they went to Russia. And they went, uh, Pastor Billy Joe felt that they were to go for 18 months. They would go, they would fly over in the beginning of the week. They would do a crusade and fly back and get in on Saturday night and preach again on Sunday morning. And for those 18 months, only heaven, I believe, will reveal the number of people who receive Jesus in that window of time. You know, God makes seasons in our lives that we need to be ready for. Last night, she shared on vision. If you were not here, I encourage you to get the CD. We'll have that whole series available for you uh, tomorrow. So, um, you know, God is speaking to you this morning by her. She's a woman who's experienced a lot of things, walked through a lot of things, has four beautiful children, all married, and has beautiful grandchildren. What is it, six? Six and two on the way. That would be in April and June, I think, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so her household is multiplying. Right now she is uh, on, still on staff at the church, uh, remains the CEO of the, of the corporation, but also works in the church, teaching in the Bible school, and travels. So we are blessed. Everybody say, we are blessed. <laughs> we are blessed to have her here with us today to share with us the word of God, Sharon Doherty. turned it on. Okay. That's good. All right. Praise the Lord. I may put this right down here. Thank you. This morning, um, I just welcome all of you that have come today and gotten out in the snow. And I was also reminded about Russia. Uh, This morning when uh, I, well, actually in the wee hours of the night, I got up and I was looking at the snow coming down. And then this morning, But I was thinking about when we first went to Russia and how uh, they didn't know if they would have enough blankets or heat during the winter. And uh, the former Soviet Union, the government had put all their money in military and space uh, programs. And so uh, they didn't put any money into the people or the um, the country itself so you still had light bulbs that hung down from a little wire in all the apartments like that except this is modern this is like this is this is like a um a decorative but you know back over there it was like you know a like it didn't look that fancy of a wire 
uh, in your apartments. And then sometimes, like in, the, well, most all the apartments' hallways going into them they had no light bulbs because people would steal the light bulbs, you know, for themselves. And, uh, and the stores, you would get one choice of a cereal. You would have one choice. If they ran out, then you had to wait till the next month to get whatever it was you wanted. They just, they didn't have choices. They didn't have, uh, people would stand in lines for bread. You know, every day they stood in lines for bread. And um, and so they didn't have like our Walmart where you've got a lot of different uh, places you can go to to shop to pay for your items to get out. Oh, no, they had one, one. And so that's why the lines were so long. And so there was not a sense of... Um, businesses having any sense of, you know, trying to make things better. Um, doctors didn't, I mean, because everybody had the same salary, whether you were somebody that sat at the, um, at the elevator and watched people go up and down the elevator because that was your job. See, the government had, everybody had a job. And so, uh, so they had socialism or communism, and so everybody got equal pay, whether you sat at the elevator and watched people go in and out, or you were a doctor. So there wasn't motivation to become, like, to, to spend the hours to uh, maybe become something beyond where you were. And so, um, so, but there were those that had some compassion and, and so they had doctors that uh, didn't have education, but they had been maybe an apprentice to another person. And so anyway, they were all practicing medicine. I mean, you know, we, pract we have doctors that practice medicine here, but do we really comprehend what that means? They're practicing on you. They're practicing on us. <laughs> And I appreciate doctors because, you know, I have friends that are doctors and, and people that are in the medical field. But I'm just saying that in, in the Soviet Union, because of their communistic mindset, uh, you know, they want everybody to be equal, but there was no motivation to become... And besides that, the government didn't want them to get too high of an education where they be would become so much more knowledgeable that they would then revolt and try to overthrow the government. Are you with me? It was just uh, our Western minds. It's hard for us to imagine the mindset of either a communist nation or an Islamic nation. Uh, and so anyway, so when we went in there, um, it was very backward. In fact, I, I saw these old cars. There was a few, only a few cars on the street because they couldn't. Most people rode the subway system underneath the streets, and so on top of the streets there were just a few cars, and they were all these old beetle-looking cars. Remember from the nineteen late forties, early fifties? You know they had the the, the old uh, beetle look of a car, and um, and they were all black. And so um, anyway, they didn't have very many cars. They had war-torn buildings that were still. Uh, standing war-torn from World War II, and this was in 1991, 92, 93. So they had not tried to correct things. They had grass growing up this high at the airport, uh, grass that was growing up in between the cracks of the sidewalk. We got there, and there was one conveyor belt in the um, airport of this city of 7 million, St. Petersburg. And we, as we walked in, you know, it was cigarette smoke everywhere, you know, and them looking at you, you know, like the old movies, you know, and, and, uh, 
one little place you went through. And uh, so it was a little creepy, you know, and I remember us going in and immediately, you know, because as Americans, we're, we're taught to be friendly and to, you know, reach out to people. So we just start saying, hey, can we give you a little book, you know, a little new life? What is this? Well, it's about God. It's about Jesus. And this one lady, she said to us in the airport, the moment we landed, she said, you know, we've tried everything but God. She said, we might as well try God. And so uh, when we first went in there, there was this vacuum of, uh, of, of people's hearts. And so when we first went in there with this sense of, of good news, gospel, it was like uh, piranha on, uh, on meat. You know, uh, what can you give to us? Hope. What hope can you give us? In fact, we had people that would say to us in Russian through the interpreters, the communists took us, they, they took away our joy. They took away our hope. They took away God. They took away, because see, they, their whole message was atheism so that they wouldn't have to acknowledge God. And e evolution was their big push, you know. And so, um, so anyway, they said they took away God. They took away our joy. They took away Jesus. But you've brought us... Yeah, and, and they took away uh, hope, and they said, but you've brought us uh, God, you've brought us joy, you've brought us hope again. And they said, you know, someone would say, well, during World War II, it was, uh, it was when the uh, Germans were coming, because uh, the Germans came against St. Petersburg and tried to uh, cut off their supplies of uh, provisions. And so um, it, it was pretty desperate in Russia at one time. In fact, there were parts of Russia and the Ukraine during World War II where people were reverting to cannibalism uh, of children even because, you know, when you don't have a God comprehension or uh, uh, understanding, there's not a consciousness of right and wrong, but then you revert to just whatever you can to survive. So it was survival of the fittest. And so, uh, so anyway, but when, when, you know, this one, one man, he said, uh, you know, it was Americans that brought us, uh, bread and brought us hot chocolate, you know, something to eat. It was the Americans that, and now Americans have come to bring us the bread of life. And I thought, wow, that he got that, you know, that he understood that. But anyway, when we first went in, uh, we went in, it was snow blizzard, <laughs> you know, and I, I looked at it, I thought, wow, you know, praise God that uh, people are not moved by snow here, correct? Because they weren't moved by snow there. And when you are desperate, when you're hungry, when you want truth, when you want something beyond vision beyond where you are, because I'm going to talk more about vision today, but uh, there's a sense of, hey, I want to be there. I want to be there. And are you, if you guys are, are y'all cold? Are you cold? Okay, could we get a little more heat? Okay, good. Yeah, turn up the warm. We want you to feel warm and toasty, not to fall asleep, but to, uh, to just feel comfy, okay? And if we need to move in close, ladies, you know, remember, you know, when you stick close together, you know, you get heat, you know? And, um, and so anyway, uh, move in close with each other. But... Um, uh, I remember our team that particular month we went, it was our second month going, it was January. And I remember when the team went out, there was a team of 80, they went out and they just said, there's nobody on the streets. That was when they discovered all the people were underneath the streets. They were in the subway system, thousands of people going to and fro in the subway system. And when they started to pass out little flyers about our meeting at the Escaca, which was the big convention center, it was like piranha just grabbing something free. And so they came. Many of the people would come because of the crowds pushing them 
to be there. And uh, they said, we don't know how many people are going to show up because, you know, we gave out some flyers, but we just don't know, you know, in this weather, it's just blizzard weather. But the place was packed. I mean, 18,000 to 20, 25,000 people packing into this auditorium. And when my husband started to give the invitation, even before he would start to give it, it was almost like they kind of knew he was going to uh, invite them. And they would just start pouring down from every direction of the uh, Coliseum to come down running to the front because they wanted to touch an American. You know, we were nobodies. I mean, they didn't know who we were. We were not famous people. We were just people that had brought them some humanitarian aid and we had brought them the gospel. We had brought Bibles. They knew we had Bibles and they had not had Bibles in St. Petersburg for 70 years. Now, other parts of the uh, the so- Soviet Union, it had been, I think, uh, 40, 50 years, but there it had been 70 years. And, um, and so, you know, Soviet Union had had a, they had had like a Russian Orthodox church in St. Petersburg, a Russian Orthodox church in Moscow, a Russian Orthodox church in maybe some of your major cities of the former Soviet Union, because they wanted visitors that came over during those years to think that they had freedom, but they didn't have freedom. And, uh, and I was talking with, uh, Rick Renner, Rick and Denise, they've been living there now for quite some time, and they have a ministry, a church in Moscow. But uh, I was talking with some of their people, and the guy says, we have freedom here. We have freedom to vote. And then the government decides after that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, never take it lightly that we have freedom freedom, not just a democracy. We're a republic. That means we can vote people in and we can vote people out and they're not there to stay forever. And so, um, so anyway, uh, the Soviet union was, uh, quite a, uh, experience, but during those blizzard months when most people would in America wouldn't even get out of their house. Oh, this gives me a chance to stay home. Uh, there it was, they were desperate. Like I said, they didn't know if they would have heat that summer, I mean that winter. They didn't know if they would have blankets or coats. So we actually, uh, at that time, TBN found out we were going, and they sent over coats. And some of the coats they sent were minks, like furs. And so you know what the Russians did. Oh, yeah, black market. They took those minks and furs, and they sold them, and they got them just, you know, some little, um, you know, regular coats that they could wear and use that money for other things, you know, that they needed. And so, anyway, what an experience. But I thought about it because there was this area outside of the Escaca that was just a big trash heap. It was just a big, looked like a big dump. And uh, when that snow fell, it just covered all of that trash heap and it looked like this beautiful mountain of uh of snow it was beautiful and everywhere you looked the snow just covered all the scars all the bad and it was pure white it was just it was this beautiful uh everything was beautiful and you know that's what the grace of god does in our lives that when we allow him to work in our lives 
you know, and, and today as I'm sharing with you, I pray that the Holy Spirit's able to dig deep on the inside of us, that this is not just a message for your head, but that your heart is going to be able to receive and that the Holy Spirit then is able to do a deep work inside of you because uh, we're going to later talk about toxic attitudes and things that try to hinder the work of God in the vision of God that he wants in our lives. You see, God's vision for you is good. Jeremiah chapter 29, we quote that verse 11 a lot, but the setting of that was very difficult because the children of Israel, Israel had been taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were not God-fearing people. They worshiped other gods and um, they came in and killed people and they, they destroyed Buildings. They destroyed the land, and then they took people captive. It's how how Daniel and the three Hebrew children were taken captive during that time frame. And Jeremiah was a prophet, and Jeremiah had tried to warn them that the day is coming when Israel will be attacked. Israel will be attacked. It will be destroyed. Many will be taken captive. And so another prophet stood up and said, Jeremiah is a negative prophet. Don't believe him. Uh, Babylon, uh, within two years, God's going to deal with them. And, uh, you know, whatever happens, God's going to restore and, and, and you'll be back to normal again here in Israel. But Jeremiah had said it would be 70 years, 70 years of captivity that they would go into. And he said at the end of 70 years, they would return to their homeland and God would restore them back. But he's told them, he said, in the midst of your captivity, in the Babylonian, when you're taken to Babylon, he said, go ahead and build houses, plant your vineyards, go ahead and live your lives in productivity and become fruitful in, in Babylon. Because he said, you are to increase in that place and then to come back to be restored to your homeland. And he said, because I know the thoughts I have for you. God said, I have thoughts of good, not of evil towards you. My thoughts for you are good, not of evil. That my plans for you are to give you a future and to give you a hope. If you will seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with your whole heart, I will turn away your captivity. Now, what does that mean to us today? It's still a word that is revelation to our hearts today. And that God's thoughts toward people that he created is are not evil thoughts. Sometimes people think that God's... God is half the time he's schizophrenic. He's half good, half evil. Part, we don't know which, t which mood he's going to be in. No. God is a good God. The devil is an evil devil. Yeah. It's in their name. You know, but God, God says his mercy and his loving kindnesses are new every morning. And he is faithful to his word. Now, what happens is we live in a fallen world. I shared this last night. It's a fallen world that we live in because of Adam and Eve's sin. It opened the door. We didn't have earthquakes before that. We didn't have tornadoes. We didn't have storms. We didn't have uh, thorns on, on rose bushes. Did you know thorns on a rose bush are actually undeveloped roses? Yeah. So you can imagine why sometimes God told Israel, these people, if you don't, if you don't uh, cleanse the land, these people will become thorns in your flesh and pricks in your eyes. Uh, 
when, when there's not a surrendered heart, then a person can become a thorn instead of the rose that God intended for them to be. And so God, God, God had a good, he, he created everything good in the beginning. Genesis one tells us that, but sin opened the door to the enemy. So our world is under this influence of the, of the, the God of this world system. He's not the, the God who owns heaven and earth. God owns heaven and earth, God Almighty. But the God of this world system is an influencer, and he's the one that causes wars. He's the one that causes ISIS to be demonic in what they do. He's the one that is the influencer of abuse. He's the one who is at work because he knows, Revelations 12, 12, that his time is short. So he comes down on the earth. Where's he coming from? The atmosphere of the world around us. Because there's three heavens. There's the one you see, the sky where the birds all fly, the clouds are. But then there's the atmosphere above that, which is the space atmosphere where the sun and stars and the, and the moon dwell. But then there's the spirit, then there's a heaven above that. And then the, in that atmosphere above the earth, there, that's where the enemy operates because he's a spirit. God is spirit, the devil is spirit, and he operates invisibly in influencing and causing all of the evil and all of the bad that happens in this world around us. But God wants to break through every work of the enemy. He breaks through. The Bible tells us ways that he breaks through. He breaks through when we begin to believe, when we begin to open our hearts to believe that God loves us and that God is for us and that God wants to change our lives. He wants to give our lives a sense of destiny, of purpose and of future. He doesn't want us just to exist, just to survive. He wants us to, to have a sense of direction while we're on this earth and of reason why we are here and fruitfulness. He wants our lives to bear fruit. He wants the world then to take note of him on the inside of us. He wants the world to see how his power is greater than the power of the enemy. And this is why when you read the Bible and you see the acts of God that happened through people that believed, and then you see how when people allowed themselves to get sometimes um, to drift away from God, you know, when they allowed themselves, when Israel drifted from God, they just kind of decided, you know, hey, I'm going to relax. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then the enemy took advantage of that because that was a place of vulnerability. And it's the same today. I mean, all through history, we see that happen to people. But God wants us to stay in a relationship, fellowship with him, because just like his vision to Abraham, who's the father of our faith, God wants to give us vision and he wants to keep talking into our lives on a regular basis. He wants us to believe. He wants us to listen to his voice. He wants us to heed his voice. He wants to show himself strong in our behalf. He said in his word, his eyes are constantly going to and fro around the face of the earth, searching for those whose hearts, it says in the King James, are perfect toward him. But that word in the Hebrew has a meaning of pressing hard after him. Because we know nobody is totally perfect. 
There's no person that's perfect on the earth. Jesus was the only one. But he said, those whose hearts are pressing hard after him, he's searching. He's going around the face of the earth, searching for those whose hearts are pressing hard after him to show himself strong in their behalf. And so when we drift from God, then we drift from the one that wants to help us, the one that wants to intervene, the one that wants to use our lives, the one that wants to show himself to the world through vessels that may seem weak. He loves to take what looks weak and then show it in his strength, show his strength in the midst of that weakness. That's just the way God is because he wants to, again, draw the world to himself. Getting back to the snow. <laughs> I, have, I have so many different rabbit trails I can go on. They're good rabbit trails. We can learn from rabbit trails. I think it's, sometimes it's a female in me. Sometimes it's just my personality. But getting back to the snow, the snow can cover whatever has been scars in our lives. Whatever has been things that have happened that you feel maybe you failed. Or you feel someone else failed you. Or you got hurt. Or that you, uh, you had to overcome that weakness. Or that thing that tried to destroy or crush you. Uh, maybe, maybe you went through some experiences in life that tried to, to destroy. And God says he can, his snow can cover and, and cover all of that. And his, it's grace. It's grace. You know, I've been criticized by some, some people in my city uh, because I am not a, what they call a hyper-radical grace person. I, I believe that the grace of God is... God's unmerited favor to our lives to save us, to cleanse us from sin. Uh, I believe that his grace is the divine empowerment to enable us to do what we could not do in our own natural ability. But there are some who feel like grace is like a license to sin. That it's that once you once you accepted Christ, you can be homosexual, you can live in adultery, you can do whatever, and if you died in the midst of that act, you would still go to heaven. Uh, that if you if you want to do whatever you want to do, just do whatever you want to do. That it doesn't matter because the grace of God now covers all that. So I'm different. I don't believe that. I mean, you know, everyone's entitled to their own beliefs, I know. But I believe my beliefs are going to have an effect upon my eternity and upon the eternity of people listening to me. So anyway, I'm just letting you know where I stand. So my husband used to say, honey, no one has to wonder where you stand. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a few people that don't agree with the way I stand. And sometimes they say, you're legalistic. No, I am so thankful for grace because I need grace on a regular basis. And my husband used to say, honey, God graces you a lot. I said, I know I asked for it because sometimes I would be late, you know, and God, and, and just God would just divinely work it out. Like I can be 
I remember one time my husband was doing a funeral and and uh, it was at another place and I thought it was at a place over here, went to the wrong place. And so I got there late and my husband had already started the funeral service. And and uh, and so anyway, um, I slipped in and the lady that was playing the organ, she was kind of in the back area, you know, and I said, uh, she said, he told me to tell you whenever you got here, just kind of poke your head around and he would call you up. And so anyway, because I was supposed to sing. And so anyway, uh, so I did, you know, and he said, my wife now is going to come. She's going to share in song. And so I came. And so anyway, later on, he said to me, he said, honey, God graces you. I said, I know, because I, I asked for grace. I asked for mercy. I asked for help. I asked for that grace to cover me when I'm, when I don't do exactly the way I should do. You know what I mean? My intentions are not that, but you know, sometimes, sometimes we all need those grace moments. Is that correct? We need somebody to give us, thank God that he gives us grace when we fall short because there's times that we do, but the grace of God has been what has enabled me since my husband's passing to be able to go forward. But that grace, that grace is so wonderful in our lives. And that grace covers all the difficult things that we've been through, all the things that seem to have tried to crush our lives. It scars our things of the past. It, the grace of God is like snow coming down. And I want to share a song with you that was written by a friend uh, that, that is about that. Somewhere it's snowing right now. The grace of God has come to, to not only save us uh, from our sin and to uh, give us a new beginning toward Jesus, but also the grace of God is here to cover our lives. You can go ahead with that if you would. It's here to cover our lives and to take our lives forward no matter what we've been through. The grace of God is like the snow that comes and that snow that covers no matter what, what we feel like that mess caused, God can make it a message and he can bring a testimony out of that test that you walked through and God can also help you to be stronger and to grow beyond all those things and take your life forward amen I once read in a poem When snow covers the earth That it hides the world's scars And gives nature new birth And they say when a man turns from sin to the Lord Forgiveness like snow covers him evermore and somewhere it's snowing see the snow drifting down as each snowflake surrenders to the hardening ground like the Good grace of Jesus that now covers our sin. 
in the kingdom of heaven. Friend, it's snowing And they say that the angels lift their hearts and rejoice when one traveler turns homeward from his way to the Lord. If somewhere you are turning and giving your God's grace, like the snow, is beginning to fall. And somewhere it's snowing. See the snow drifting down as each snowflake surrenders to the hardening ground. Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's snowing again and again and again and again for your grace, Lord, that this is the hour of grace, that we're living in that dispensation of grace, that your grace, Lord, is here for our lives, that wherever we are at whatever point of life that we're in, 
Jesus, that your grace is there. Your grace is there to forgive us where we failed, to forgive us, Lord, of sin, to forgive us, Lord, and to help us, Father, to do the right thing, to forgive us where we let ourselves become depressed, where we've let ourselves to lose sight of your vision, of your, of your plans. Lord, to forgive us for where we've allowed ourselves to, to drift, where we allowed ourselves to be influenced by the world around us. Lord, thank you for your grace, your grace that's there to turn, to turn our lives and to turn situations that we've found ourselves in, that the grace of God is always reaching out to us, that grace to restore us, that grace, Lord, to heal, that grace to raise our lives up again, no matter what the enemy tried to do. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit is here. Your Holy Spirit is among us right now. And I pray for you to move among us by your spirit. Move among us now. Move among us now. Move among us now. We pray. Move among us now. As we sing your praise, Lord, move among us
Some of you have depended on other things or other people. And the Holy Spirit speaking this word to you. All you need is in Jesus. All you need is in him. Sometimes we feel like we've got to make something happen. Or sometimes we, we feel like there's other people that are our answer. Or they've got the answer that we need. And it's not that... That, there, that God can't use other people in our lives. God wants to use relationships. But there are times when he sees we're dependent upon what is not just him. And he's saying, you've got to come back to that place of dependency. All I need is you. Where he is, he's your source. He's your source. All I need is you. to break every chain, to destroy the works of the enemy off of our lives. Lord, to take off of our minds the limits, that which has tried to hold us in our souls. Lord, we declare today freedom. Freedom is in this place. And Jesus, you break every chain. 
If you need healing, if you need deliverance or freedom in your life in some capacity or in some area, I want you to stand up today and take it. Because today, he said he's here to break every chain, to break every chain of the enemy off of your life. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to deliver you right now, to bring freedom to you right this very moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, our eyes are on you. Our hope is in you. Our faith, Lord, is in you, Jesus. We thank you that you're on our present. You're in our future, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you're here to destroy every lie of the enemy, every thought that the enemy has tried to bring to hold us in captivity. In Jesus' name, we thank you today, Lord. Freedom. Freedom is here. Freedom is here. We take it. We take the freedom that's in your name, Jesus. We thank you today. You deliver us from the power of darkness. And you, Lord, have given us, you put us in your kingdom, Lord, and given us, Lord, a hope, given us faith. You've given us, Lord, a future. You've given us, Lord, the freedom that we've been that you desire for our lives, Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, 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 break every chain. There is power, there is power in the name of Jesus. Yes, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. Break every chain, 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 break every chain. Right now, Father, I release my faith in you that you're breaking chains of wrong thinking off of our lives today. You're breaking the chains of the enemy that have tried to hold us in limits, hold us in, in places that we can't break beyond. Lord, today I pray, open our understanding, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our faith up again, Lord, to believe you want to do things in our lives that are beyond where we are right now. Jesus, that you can destroy everything of the enemy that's tried to hold us in our minds. I want you to put your hands on your head right now, all over the place. We bind the lies of the devil. I bind every stronghold of the enemy that's tried to come against your thoughts, that's tried to hold you in captivity. I declare today freedom, freedom to you, freedom that you're breaking out from that which has tried to hold you down, that which has tried to oppress, that which has tried to 
keep you from moving forward. I bind you, devil. I bind your lies. Today, we cast down every lying imagination, every oppressive thought. I cast it down from your mind today. Today, you're free. You're walking out of here free. You're not going to be the same. You are leaving things behind you today, and you're taking hold of God and what he wants to do in your life. You're taking hold of faith and hope. You're taking hold again to envision what God wants you to envision. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just hug someone next to you. Just share that love, okay? And then you can be seated. Thank you. Thank you all. Praise God. Praise God. I want to talk to you about vision today. When, we, when uh, Pam mentioned about our going to Russia, um, we had gone over there to um, a crusade with Brother Sumrall, August of 91. Uh, interesting thing was is that we were scheduled to be that very week. It was the week following our normal yearly annual word explosion. And, and, um, and so we were to go to Israel that next week. Uh, with a group of pastors from, uh, one was Nazarene, one was Baptist, one was Methodist, one was uh, uh, Presbyterian, and uh, the uh, educational uh, channel in our state wanted uh, to do like a variety of pastors uh, doing some scenes in Israel and then put it on the educational program, which we thought, praise God, they paid for it. And so um, so anyway, Brother Sumrall, though, uh, was still alive at that time, and he had planned to go to Russia in an outreach. And at that time, um, it was when Gorbachev had stepped in, and Gorbachev had proclaimed like this openness. He wanted to open Soviet Union up to the West, and and so that it, it had been closed prior to that. People would go in there underhandedly, kind of like they go into China and take Bibles or, uh, you know, into some of these places that have been, you know, very... Uh, forbidding of that, but that that, that openness, prehistorica, uh, had uh, caused this openness. Well, anyway, Brother Summerall wanted to take in some humanitarian aid and to do a crusade in St. Petersburg. And so my husband turned to him in a meeting. He said, so I hear you're going to Russia. He says, yeah, you want to go with me? <laughs> and so Bill just said, yes, sir. You know, we all have uh, people that are spiritual mentors in our lives, or it, we, if we don't, we ought to. Uh, because, uh, you know, and so sometimes your mentors are not maybe exactly your personality. That's all right, you know, but they are people that you know, you respect, you can uh, receive from. And so Brother Sumrall had a personality that was a little bit, you know, uh, rough. And, uh, but he is a tough cookie. Uh, he'd been through a lot. And so anyway, uh, my husband said, yes. I said, how are we going to do that? We're supposed to be in Israel. He says, well, we'll we're going to do it. And so anyway, um, we went to Israel for Monday through Wednesday, and then we flew from Israel to uh, uh, Frankfurt, Germany on that Thursday to g in order to get to his meeting by Thursday night in Soviet Union. And, uh, and so um, 
we didn't have a visa. You had to have a visa to get in. And so we'd been trying to get a visa for like two and a half months and couldn't get one. And this guy walked up to my husband the Sunday before we were leave. He says, he was, he'd only been coming to our church two or three weeks. This guy walked up and said, I think I'm supposed to go with you to Russia. And my husband looked at him because at that time my husband didn't like to babysit, you know. And so uh, uh, my husband just said, well, I hope you can have... Uh, the good good uh, blessing or fortune of getting you a visa because we haven't been able to get one. So anyway, that guy then proceeds to contact, call around, and he found in California a lady, a place where uh, they, they would give out visas. So he said, I'm calling to see if I can get a visa for my pastor and his wife and for me. We want to go into St. Petersburg and take some humanitarian aid and to preach the gospel, take Bibles. And she said, uh, first, she said, well, why are you wanting to go? And he says, we want to go in there to do this. She said, I am from Russia. And she said, and if you want to do something good for my country, then she said, I want to help you. I will get visas to you overnight. So here's this guy that we didn't know that, you know, just was wild enough to believe that he was supposed to go and uh, paid his way to go. And so he calls our secretary and says, hey, I got uh, visas for pastor and his wife. She said, how in the world were you able to do that? I've been trying for two and a half months, going every direction. He said, I found a lady in California. She's, she, she's sending them overnight. So he then flew to Frankfurt. We were supposed to meet him in Frankfurt and, uh, and then go from there with our visas. Well, so we get to Frankfurt, and there was only two uh, places at that time where American, where planes were flying in from New York. That was the plane he was to be coming in on. And so we went to this one place, and he didn't come in. And so I said, we waited for every last person to get off the plane. I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're running. We are going to run to our next uh, place that we're supposed to fly out from. I said, without a visa? He says, we're going to go, period. And they'll just have to turn us away, I guess, if we get there. So we we run and we get to that place in Frankfurt, our uh, where we're supposed to be. And she goes, this lady behind the counter goes, Dunker D. And we said, yes. She said, follow me. And so there's nobody in this little section of the airport. So we follow her down these stairs. And she said, get in van. And so we're the only ones getting in the van on this tarmac. And I said to Bill Joe, I said, let's hope these Germans are are uh, on the level. And so, anyway, we get this van, and the van drives around, you know, on the uh, tarmac and comes out to a plane, and there's this uh, smaller plane, and so this lady is at the top, stewardess lady. She goes, Doggerty, and we said, yes, hurry, we are waiting for you, and I thought, are you kidding me? In, a, in Frankfurt, I mean, it's a huge airport with planes coming in from everywhere. I thought... What planes, other than in Nigeria, Africa, where our friend Archbishop Itahosa has control with the plane system, what plane waits on a nobody, you know, like us? Well, I shouldn't say a nobody, but you know what I mean. They didn't know us from uh, anybody else. And so anyway, she says, hurry. And so we get on the plane, and so we see this guy, and he's like this in the aisle, you know, and he's, he's, he's pa- like he's paddling a boat. 
Well, the week before, Jerry Savelle had come to our church, and he had preached a message on how that sometimes salmon have to swim upstream. You have to go against the current. And sometimes in life, it's not always easy, and any old dead fish can float downstream with all the rest. But he said it takes a salmon, a fighter, to go against the, the current at times. And so he's in that aisle going... And then he lifts up this folder. I had never seen the guy. I didn't know what he looked like. I said, that must be Bill. And Billy Joe says, yeah. So anyway, we get back there, and the guy goes, Bill says, are you looking for something? I got your visas. And so he had come through another uh, exit, our uh, uh, place in the airport, which we didn't know at the time. So anyway, we get there, and, of course, uh, you know, you're going against current. We get back, and... Or when we're coming back, the Lord spoke two scriptures to Billy Joe. And this is important because when you have a word from the Lord, we all need to get words from the Lord on a regular basis. There's words from the Lord you get on a daily basis. And then there's words that you know are not yet going to happen, but they're going to happen as you believe them because it's so strong because it's like a revelation word to you. And see, God wants his word not to just be a dead letter when you read it. He wants it to be revelation. And that is what they call a rhema word. When the Holy Spirit gives you something that jumps out at you and you know, I needed that. Are you with me? And so uh, as we were coming back, the Lord gave my husband two scriptures. Um, And in fact, oh, and while we were there that week, Brother Sumrall was a little disappointed. He rented that same uh, Coliseum we had rented later, and only 7,000 people showed up. And uh, and also the mafia or the government wouldn't let us would, wouldn't let him land his ship of feed the hungry uh, there in the port at St. Petersburg. So he had to find a port to land that food and then transport it by truck to St. Petersburg. And so at that time. Um, Latvia, Estonia, and uh, Lithuania had just that very week proclaimed their liberty from the Soviet Union. And so they had Gorbachev under house arrest. And uh, so that's the week we were there. And so... (laughs) Whenever anything like that would happen, all the televisions would go to blank with classical music. That's how they controlled their people. And so so anyway... uh, so they landed the ship in um, uh, Latvia because it had broke. The, Latvia said, we'll let you land your ship. And so anyway, they brought that humanitarian aid by, by truck to, drove it to St. Petersburg for the meeting. Well, because Gorbachev was under house arrest, because all of this stuff was going on, people got scared. And so they stayed in. And it was good weather. It wasn't bad weather. It was August. But, uh, but people didn't know what, were gonna ha- what was going to happen. And so, um, so anyway, 7,000 people, though, showed up. And uh, he was able to distribute to some of the uh, pastors that were there. Well, coming back from that trip, oh, and there were healings. This one lady, she was twisted in her chair, in her wheelchair, all twisted. Her legs were twisted. Her body was twisted. And when healing began to flow, uh, as I can't remember which one was praying and ministering, but, but it was us and Rod Parsley and Brother Sumrall that were there. And, um, and so anyway, uh, this lady starts to get out of her chair. And this lady next to her that was one of the Americans, she said, I heard every bone in her body pop. 
It just started crackling. And she, her twisted and curled feet around the, the chair that she was in all of a sudden straightened out. She gets up and she starts to walk like Frankenstein to the uh, platform. And so she comes up. That occurrence, though, it happened several times while we were there. People would just start to get up. And these were people that, um, you know, sometimes you help people up out of their wheelchairs. I've done that before. But they'd just get up and on their own, never walking, or it'd been maybe years since walking, that they would get up and start to walk. And uh, supernatural, like one guy, he was standing in the back while my husband was preaching. He thought that we were paying people to testify because he was an atheist and he had been run over in World War II by a truck and it had caused the back of his head, to, the, the skull to crack apart. And uh, so even though the skin had healed over, the skull was still, there was a crack there. Well, while he was standing there doubting, uh, the, his skull started moving together. And he began to grab the back of his head, and he began to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And he had been an alcoholic. He quit his alcohol, and he went to our Bible school and uh, graduated, uh, raised his money to go on radio to tell his testimony on the radio to the city there. It was just a great, we had a lot of great things happen, but... What I was going to say is, when coming back from that particular trip, the Lord gave Billy Joe two scriptures, Isaiah 52, verse 4. My people went down into Egypt and, and lived there, and the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now, what have I here, says the Lord? My people have been taken away for nothing. They that rule over them make them to howl, says the Lord. My name is continually blaspheme every day. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, they will know in the day that I am he that speaks. Behold, it is I. Verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says to Zion, thy God reigns. Wow, that was one of the scriptures. The other scripture was over in Acts. It was actually Acts uh, chapter 18 and verse 9. Then the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, don't be afraid, but speak, hold not your peace, for I'm with you and no man will set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And that was the word God said, it'll be 18 months. You're to go back every month one week out of each month. So my husband asked permission from our congregation. He said, would you give me permission to go back to Russia one week of every month? I'll still be here on Sundays to preach. So we would leave Monday mornings at uh, 6 o'clock, and then we would get back midnight, Saturday night. Our video guy would stay up all night. You know, here we, you fly all night. You know, he'd get, we'd get in that night at midnight. We'd go to bed to get up to be at the 9 o'clock service. The next morning and the video guy would stay up all through the night to create a, a short little video of what happened that week, the healings that took place and uh, give people a snippet because of those videos, though, it gave vision to our congregation. And so it gave a sense of desire. I want to go. I want to be. They began, they began to see uh, it didn't matter if they were a housewife or if they were a businessman or if they were uh, in some uh, other field, they all began to have a vision. Retired people, you know, sometimes would raise their money just to go on a trip to experience 
the, uh, the harvest, to be a part of the harvest. God had given us a word in 1982 through a woman in our church, Jean Wilkerson. She said the days will come when the Soviet Union will open up and there will be huge co combines of people, uh, ministers that will go in there and they will reap the harvest across the former Soviet Union. And she said, and then the doors will close as quickly as they open. They will close quickly and shut. And uh, then she turned and she said, and your pastor will be one of them. Well, when she said that, we had, had no thought about Russia, you know, in 1982. And, uh, and so after that, it was about 1983, 1984, in prayer, my, the Holy Spirit said to my husband, you need to print uh, one million of your new life books in Russian. Well, we had no doors. We had no friends. The, the door was closed. And so then we found out there was a small group that were going in, and they were taking some of Brother Hagen's books in there and uh, trying to start some, plant some churches uh, underground. And so, um, so anyway, my husband asked one of these people, he said, would you be interested in some of my books? Oh, no, we're taking Brother Hagen's books. We're not interested. And so anyway, we had a million books that we had spent this money on that we needed that money for, at that time, something else. I mean, we needed it. We were building. We were, you know, there was stuff going on that w that our own church could use. But we took that sixty thousand dollars to 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 pay for those million books to be printed and stuck them in storage. You know, sometimes you do things and you think, "Did I hear right?" <laughs> Many times God is testing us to see if we will obey and do what he tells us to do when something may not be for that moment, but may be for something that is yet ahead. And many times people procrastinate. What, what would have happened if Noah procrastinated building the ark? I mean, you know, it took him a hundred years, but he had to start building that ark. He had to obey God. And sometimes we think when God doesn't do something immediately, we begin to question, did we really hear God? Well, I want you to know when God puts something in your heart, sometimes it's not for that very moment, but he's testing you to see if you'll obey him to prepare for what is yet ahead. And so uh, that's what happened with us. And so we put it in storage and had it there. And so in 91, when Brother Sumrall turned and said he was going to Russia, Bill just said, Brother Sumrall, do you have any books to give out to people? No. He said, well, I happen to have some books uh, on what to do once you're born again uh, in Russian. I've got about a million. Brother Sumrall says, bring them with you. And so that was the book that we gave out. And so then after that, every month, we would give those books out to people. And in that month of January, when it looked like the snow blizzard would keep people away and Thousands of people came. 90,000 got saved in that particular uh, crusade that month. But every month there were thousands getting saved. And they'd get those little books. And then my husband would start to teach them, now you can have a little Bible study in your flat. Because there was four churches at that time in a city of 7 million. And so, you know, uh, these church pastors are going, we can't, you know, we tried to get people to fill out little pieces of paper about their name and address and follow up. Those pastors just kind of threw them up in the air and just said, there's no way we can do this. <laughs> you know, they didn't have an understanding of vision. They didn't, they had just started their churches. They were Russians. Their mindsets had been bound, limited to a box 
you know, and then all of a sudden we come with vision that's humongous, you know, for them. And they, you know, it was overwhelming. They couldn't, they couldn't see, you know, and, uh, and, you know, they followed up on some, but you know, it was just massive. And sometimes people say, well, what about all those millions that get saved? through Reinhardt Bonnke's ministry or through other ministries, you know, and then no one follows up on them. Well, friends, at least they had the opportunity to hear the gospel and make a decision. And then we have to put our trust in the Lord. We do what we can do. But, but when other people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, we can't let that then say, oh, well, we might as well not do anything if they're not going to do anything. Okay. We've got to do what God tells us to do, our part to do, whatever that is. I say that to you individually. Don't, don't give up because someone else that you thought was going to connect with you or someone else that you thought was going to do something that was going to carry on something that you started. Even if they don't do it, don't give up. Don't quit. And this was one of the things Brother Summer used to say to us. He said, I want on my tombstone, I did not quit. And that's what they put on there. I did not quit. Why? Because there's something about pressing and, per, and, and, and moving, persevering beyond your test, beyond your difficulties. As I'm talking to you, I know I'm talking to people that aren't going to all go to Russia. You're not going to go maybe to another country. You may not do some things that I'm talking to you about, but I know the principles work. The principles I'm sharing with you are for all of us as believers in this hour because all of us are called to the harvest. When we stand before Jesus one day in eternity, and this is not a guilt trip or anything, but I'm just telling you, true fact, we're all going to stand before Jesus individually, and it won't be with our husbands, it won't be with our children, it won't be with our... We'll stand before Jesus individually, and he will ask us to give account for what we did on the earth in obedience to his voice. What about that person that I told you to talk to? You know, I repent. I don't know about you, but when I miss something, I just say, Lord, forgive me. I missed that one. <laughs> you know, I believe he does. I believe God. Here's the sincerity of my heart. When I miss it, when I just said, Lord, I should have witnessed to that one or I should have done something here. Lord, forgive me. Why? To me, that's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and some, that's why some people say I'm legalistic. No, I'm not legalistic. I'm just talking about just be sensitive to the voice of God. If you don't ever learn to be sensitive to his voice, then you won't ever do anything. See, you, you know, he wants to talk to us. He wants to be involved with us on a daily basis. And, and, and he doesn't want to condemn us. He's not, he's not trying to condemn us. He's just trying to help us. And if we mess it or mess up or if we miss it, we simply say, Holy Spirit, I missed that one. I messed up. Jesus, forgive me. I'll get it the next time. See, that's freedom. That's freedom. And that's not living under condemnation, but it's just saying, I want to stay in tune. I want to stay in tune with your voice, Lord. I don't want to, I don't want to miss things that you're wanting to do in my life or with my children or with my, my, my family. Because, see, God's talking to you about your kids he wants to talk to you about your children. He wants to talk. I remember when my kids, my boys in particular, and I don't know if it's this case with all boys. I should ask the kindergarten specialist. But um, my boys didn't uh, mature in the uh, aspect of um, uh, pressing into 
academics as quick as my girls did. And so um, when they were in kindergarten, I could tell that uh, they weren't ready for first grade a whole day. And so I just, the Lord, I said to Bill Joe, we were praying one January. I said, I just feel like I need to hold uh, it was the first one. It was John at that time. I feel like we're to hold John back and next year hold Paul back into kindergarten one more year and go into what they called advanced K-5. And I think that was so that the kids would feel like that. Oh, I'm in advanced K-5, you know. <laughs> and so um, and so I said, let's just keep them in advanced K-5 and, and uh, give them another year of half days. See, the Holy Spirit's interested in your children. He's interested in everything that concerns our life. And so Bill just said, okay. So the kindergarten teacher that year, the fifth five-year-old kindergarten, she came to me, Mrs. Opoff, and she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. She said, I just feel like there's like nine boys in my class that they, they are not ready for first grade. And your son is one of them. And I said, I know. I said, my, the Lord's already told me about it. We're already going to keep him back, and we're going to put him in advanced K-5. She goes, oh. She said, do you mind if I tell the other parents? Because I've not talked to any of the other eight. I said, yeah, tell them. And so do you know uh, all those little boys in that group, they were all still in the same little group, advanced K-5 the next year. And then Paul the same. Did it, did it hinder their growth? Did it, did it hinder their sense of, you know, uh, identity in the years ahead? Not at all. They were happy campers, you know. But see, God is interested in in everything in our lives. He's interested in every, every season of our lives, where we are with our kids, where we are with the church, where we are in our personal walk with the Lord. Okay, I am trying to get to where I was going to go. If you'll turn with me to <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> Last night I shared with you there's three kinds of vision. There's, there's the natural sight of what we see. Okay, I'll make this quick. I know I've kept you here. All right. If you need to leave, I understand. All right. Um, there's natural sight that we see with our natural eyes. Then secondly, there's the, uh, the power of imagination. And we mentioned Disney, how that Walt Disney was rejected several times of his cartoon uh, creation of this mouse. And then he just decided on his own that, he, you know, he thought it was still a good idea. Well, today we all know who Mickey Mouse is, you know, uh, but it, it came through the imagination of a man who didn't, he didn't let the rejection of, of people stop him. Um, you know, they say that uh, uh, Michael Jordan, when he was four, 13 or 14, that a coach told him, give up, give up uh, basketball. You'll never, you'll never uh, be a, a good basketball player. But because he had a determination in his heart he got a, in his imagination, he got a vision of himself playing basketball. He began to work out every morning, every day. And then we all know he became a star basketball player. Why? You've got to not let other people's words destroy or hinder you of what you know deep, deep down in your heart. God put, you, put that desire on the inside of you. Amen. All right. So the power of imagination. Then there's supernatural revelation that we get from God, that God just drops something inside of you. Last night I was talking with this morning with Han, uh, Heather, and she said in the middle of the night she woke up and she heard the voice of the Lord say Luke 4. She turned to Luke 4 and said she, her eyes landed on verse 18. And she said, okay, Lord, however you want to use me in this verse, I'm open. Praise God. 
See, because her heart, her spirit got opened up last night to hear what the voice of the Lord, what God was wanting to say to her heart. And when we talk about vision, we're, sometimes we talk about uh, God talks to us in dreams. He talks to us in our sleep. He talks to us in, our, in the day. Sometimes we may sense uh, we go out in prayer or in a vision during the daytime. But God wants to give us revelation. And then the uh, vision is the act of anticipating that which will or may come. It's the act or the power of anticipating that which will or might come. Noah heard from God, and then he had inside of him an anticipation of what was going to come. He knew it was going to happen. So it motivated him every day to build. It motivated him every day to preach righteousness to the people, even though in the end it was just he and his family that got saved. God didn't tell him it was just going to be him and his family in the beginning. And so there was this motivation to warn people, and the people ignored him. The people rejected him. But at least he did what God had said to him to do. So Proverbs 29, 18 says, Without vision, people perish. Not only do we personally uh, uh, fade away, or, but, but also without vision, other people perish that are on the other end of our obedience, whatever it is that God's telling us to do. Um, so we have to get a vision. We have to get a vision of, of that God wants to work in our lives and through our lives. There was a minister that was visiting in Hong Kong, and um, he walked by this tattoo shop, and he got this thought, go in there and look. So he went in there to check out the tattoo shop. And so on the wall was all these different uh, uh, tattoos that people could get put on their skin, you know. And so one of them said, born loser. And he said, he said he asked the tattoo owner, he says, would anybody ever want to put that on them? And he said, oh, yes. He said, man just was in here recently and asked me, put it on his chest. And he said, why would anyone want to put that on their body, born loser? And the little man said to him, before tattoo on chest, tattoo on mind. Before tattoo on chest, tattoo on mind. See, this man had lost his vision. He had lost what it was that, that his value of, of, of his purpose of being here on earth. And he had given in to the lies of the enemy. I want you to know, you're no, there's no one born loser. Every one of us are born with purpose. We're put on earth with purpose. And though we may be born into a bad circumstance, you know, you think about it. There's been people that have, like James Robinson tells how that he was born in, into the world because his mother was raped. And uh, his mother wanted to abort him. And she went to a doctor, and the doctor said, no, I'm not going. I, 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 don't, I don't do that. And so she couldn't get the abortion, and so she had the baby. She really didn't want him. He ended up being adopted out to uh, a family, and they were Christian. And so he was taken to church uh, every week. And then uh, at age 12, he received the Lord. And then he later received the call of God on his life. James Robinson today is reaching the world with the gospel. So sometimes people are born into settings that, you know, we would think are undesirable, settings that are 
are bad. But God can take whatever setting we were born into, and he still has a plan and purpose. It's all in what we allow vision to happen on the inside of us. When we open our hearts to let Jesus work on the inside of us, he then wants to create inside of us vision. All right, so our thoughts determine our destiny. Our thinking determines our destiny. Uh, Proverbs 21, 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. So is he. So we have to, we have to know, God, you have me on earth at a, a, a certain amount of time. And there's, there's things you want me to do in the time frame I'm here. here. Life is like a vapor. It passes quickly. Now, when you're 14, you feel like it's slow as molasses because you're thinking, I hope I can get to 16 where I can drive a car. I hope that uh, when you're 16, you're thinking, I hope that I can graduate from high school and get married so I can have a family uh, before Jesus returns. You know, there's all these, like, I hope I can do this. I hope this, I, you know, all this. And, and so uh, sometimes we think life goes slow, but the, the older we get, it seems like it goes fast. Yeah, it's a vapor. It's passing quickly. And I heard uh, Tim Tebow share how that, you know, he was looking at a tombstone. And he said, between DOB, date of birth, and DOD, date of death, he said, there's what they call a dash. He said, what's your dash going to be? What's your dash going to be? What is your dash going to be in between date of birth, date of death? Why? We have to stop and think, Lord, give me vision. Now, with Genesis chapter 11, and I want you to also look at Acts chapter 7, because this goes hand in hand, um, Acts 7, 2, and Genesis 11, if you want to get a hold of both of those scriptures. In, in Genesis 11, we read about a man named Abraham. Verse uh, 26, there was a man named Terah who lived 70 years, and he had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These were the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of nativity, uh, of his nativity or his birth in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, Ur of the Chaldees was Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia today is Iraq and Kuwait. Um, and Abram and Nahor took them wives. Abram took Sarah, and Nahor took Micah, the daughter of Haran. Um, Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, and his son, uh, his son, Abram's wife. And they all went from Ur of the Chaldees and went to the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, Haran today is at the border of Turkey and Syria, but it's Turkey. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and then he died in Haran. So he died there at the edge of Syria and Turkey, in Turkey. Now the Lord had said to Abram, in other words, he had already told Abram this, get out of your country from your, your relatives and from your father's house to a land I will show you. <coughs> and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So this word came to him way back 
way back before they even left Iraq and Kuwait, and they came to Turkey, okay? Let's look at Acts 7. So Stephen right now is defending uh, uh, the, the gospel. He's defending Jesus. And he stands before the high priest. He says, men and brethren, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country that you're in and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, the land of Mesopotamia, the land of what we call Iraq and Turkey, uh, Iraq and, and uh, Kuwait. He left out of there and, uh, and with his father, uh, when his father died, oh, he left out of there and he dwelt in Haran, which is now Turkey, all right? And from there, his father, when he died, he removed him to this land wherein you now dwell. You Jews, all of us Jews dwell. He gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. But he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him. And when he was yet, uh, when as yet he didn't even have a child at the time. And God spoke on this wise that his seed would uh, uh, live in a strange land and that they would, he would then bring them into, and that that land would bring them into bondage and entreat them evilly uh, for four uh, 400 years and the nation to whom they would be in bondage God would judge and after that they would come forth and serve him in this place in this land and he gave him the covenant of circumcision and so Abram begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day and then Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs or the 12 tribes okay so that gives you a little insight that maybe you've never thought about but that God gave Abraham a word. He spoke a word to Abram while he was in uh, another land. And it's interesting because in the reference, when you look up uh, the reference on Mesopotamia and Haran, that the people there worshipped the God that was the moon God. Does it say anything to you today? Mm Mm-hmm. Because they still worship that moon God. Uh, and they named that God Sin, S-I-N. Yeah. And Muhammad later, years later, got a vision, remember? And at first, he told his wife he felt like a demon had spoken to him, and his wife convinced him it was not a demon, it was God. And that's where the whole Islamic uh, mindset and ideology or religion came out of, but it was the God that was the God of the desert, and it was the moon God. And, of course, their symbol is the moon. Uh, but anyway, interesting facts. But God spoke to Abram, get out. Get out of there. Get out of the influence of all of that and go to a place that I'm going to show you. 
And he said, and in that place, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to cause you to be a blessing to the nations. And, and do you know, they're, they're doing that today. Many times media does not even uh, talk about what Israel does for the nations of the world. They are doing humanitarian aid on a regular basis to other nations. And we never hear that on the news. All we hear is the negatives about Israel. But anyway, uh, he said, I will use you to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And he said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Those that bless you will be blessed. Those that curse you will be cursed. That word curse, you might want to write this down. That word curse doesn't just mean curse words, saying curse words against Israel. It means to despise and to ignore and to treat with contempt. So, wow, when people despise Israel, when they ignore Israel, when they treat with contempt, God says, I will curse those that do that to you. Wow. But I'll bless those that bless you. That's why it's important for us to be on the blessing side, you know, in, uh, in blessing Israel. But God spoke to, to uh, Abram first in Genesis 11. Then Genesis 12, he speaks to him again. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and told him, Again, to your seed, I'm going to give this land. And so Abram built an altar there and called it Bethel. Um, and so, uh, house of God. So, you know, um, here we see God speaking again. So then we look over at Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, after there was strife between him and Lot and, and Abram said, listen, Lot, I don't want there to be strife between us. And so instead of fighting, uh, over land and over what they had, the possessions they had, he said, you pick first. You pick where you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. So he let Lot pick. Lot picked the most fertile, the most prosperous-looking direction, which was Sodom and Gomorrah, and he went that direction. Abram then went the opposite direction, but God then appeared to Abram right after this happened, and he said to him, the Lord came down to the see the city and the tower, excuse me, in verse um, 13, all right, the Lord said to Abram, after, the lot, after Lot was separated from him, lift up your eyes, Abram, look from the place where you are. Look north, south, east, and west. For all the land that you see, to you I'm going to give it, and to your seed forever. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that, a man can, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall your seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, the length of it and the breadth of it, breadth of it because I'm going to give it all to you. So you know what? When we keep our hearts right and we don't get in strife, then God says, I'm going to give you what the others are contending for. Yeah? And so, uh, so God gave him another word. Then again, God had to speak to him again in Genesis 15. And it says, after he had delivered Lot from Sodom, uh, uh, delivered the, the people of Sodom, from the uh, armies that had come against them. He went and defended them, and he delivered their, them, them all. It says, um, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abram said to the Lord, Lord, um, you know, I still don't have any children. And how are you going to bless me and cause my seed to be blessed when I don't have any? Are you going to do it through my servant, Eliezer? No, God says, no. He said, 
This won't be the air, but your air is going to come out of your own bowels. And he brought him forth and he said, look to the heaven. Look at the stars, Abram. And he said, if you're able to number them, that's how many your seed is going to be. And then it says, Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to him for righteousness. Okay, he still hadn't had a kid. He's now way old because when he left, when he left uh, Turkey uh, to go into the land of Israel today, he was 75 at that point. Well, you know, most people are thinking, if you hadn't had a kid by, the, by this time, you know, you are, you are really in trouble here. And so, but God, again, takes him out, gives him more vision. Sometimes in life, when something doesn't happen, the moment we think it ought to happen or when the t- time frame we think it should happen, sometimes we want to give up. We want to say, well, I don't know, maybe I ate something funny or maybe, you know, I was just dreaming, you know, maybe this was just my own imagination. And you got to go back. What is it in your spirit? What did you write down? Write down the vision. What did you get from God that was beyond you? And, and, and you've got to hold on to that. A lady told my mother-in-law just the other day, she, she said, I'm from Colorado, she said, and years ago I came and I got prayer for my, my, my son and my daughter. They'd uh, gone, our grandson and granddaughter, after the parents uh, had divorced um, and there was some things that happened, uh, the kids went uh, crazy as far as wild and, you know, drugs and alcohol and just crazy lifestyles. And she said, and I had gotten a vision of my all my family being saved, all of them serving the Lord. And so she said, um, years have gone by, but I got a phone call the other day because she said, I've held on to the fact that I, I, my, my, my grandkids are going to serve the Lord. She said, I got a phone call the other day. It was one of my grandson's wives. And she said, hey, grandma, so-and-so. She said, I just wanted you to know. She said, we got water baptized last Sunday. She said, really? She said, yeah. She said, uh, we weren't planning on it. But she said, we came to church. She said, we, we've been visiting this church called Victory. And she said, and they said, you know, we're going to have water baptism today. If you didn't plan on it, you could still be water baptized. So she said, we just decided we'd just go, go ahead and get water baptized. And so uh, she said, your grandson and me, she said, we got water baptized. And she said, uh, yeah, we, we really like going to church. And she said, oh, praise God. Now, this had been years. She had to hold on to her vision that it had not happened immediately. And sometimes, you know, the enemy wants to discourage you and say, oh, you know, it's not going to happen. And that was what was happening with Abram. But God t- gave him more vision. Finally, in, uh, we read how that he, he spoke to him again in Genesis uh, chapter 17. And uh, he told him, he said, I'm going to make my covenant with you. And I'm going to make it with your son that comes through Sarah. He says, what about Ishmael? Oh, I'm going to bless Ishmael, but he said, he's not the covenant. He said, I'm going to make it with Isaac. And so anyway, in that chapter, we read how that, you know, I, I, you know, Sarah at this point, she's up in years too, and she's just laughing. But, you know, Isaac means laughter. So then Genesis chapter uh, 20, 21, it says, and Abram was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 and they had a baby. Oh, wow. And so uh, the fulfillment of that vision, it took a long time for it to happen. And so then we read how that in Genesis 22, God spoke to him again. 
and he asked him for Isaac, the very one that he, he gave him. He's saying, I want you to go offer him up on an altar. And so, you know, you're thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You told me that you, this is the one that my, uh, it's going to have all the kids that are going to fill the earth. And so he didn't say that. It just says that Abram got up the next morning, took Isaac and a couple of guys and a donkey with some wood with a, a thing for fire. And they get to this mountain, foot of the mountain. He says to the two guys, he says, you guys stay here. The, the, my son and I, we're going to go up and worship. We'll come back down later. Now, that was faith. And so they go up, and they've got the wood, and they've got the knife. And Isaac says to his dad, he says, Dad, where's our offering? And Abram says, the Lord will provide himself an offering. You know, <laughs> and then he starts tying Isaac up. And he lays him on the wood after he's fixed the wood for the fire. And he lays him on the wood. And he takes his knife, and he's starting to come down. And the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Stop. Now I know you won't withhold anything from me. What was most precious to you, you're willing to give it up to me. He said, and now in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And he said, and I will cause you to uh, uh, be a blessing in all the world. Okay, so at that point, he said, uh, he called it Jehovah, the place Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And so there was a ram over in the bush. And he went and got that ram that God had provided, and he made the offering. Then he came back down with his son to the other guys. And you think, sometimes you're thinking, once you get the vision going, you know, but God wants to make sure he's still number one. And so, um, and so when he surrendered Isaac to the Lord, he believed Genesis 11 tells, I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith, Abram believed that God was able to even raise Isaac up from the dead if he had to, because that God would fulfill what he promised, that he was going to, through Isaac, multiply his seed as the stars of the heaven. That takes great faith. I mean, to me, uh, Abram, Abram didn't even have a Bible he was going on a word from the Lord on a constant basis every so often that God would speak to him. We've got the word of the Lord in the written Bible. That means every day we can hear the word of the Lord. We can get vision from God when we spend time with God. And today, what I want to challenge you with is, is that you hold on to God's promise, God's word into your heart. Every day you are listening to God speak to you. I mean, when I do our daily Bible reading, because we have a daily Bible reading plan that we go through. Do y'all do that? Oh, okay. The daily Bible reading. If you're not doing daily Bible reading, I would encourage you to do that. It's not, it's not a legalistic bondage because some people say, oh, that's legalism. I don't want to do that, you know. And so they hit and miss. They, they, they're not consistent because, you know, most of us need a disciplined plan in our lives. But I asked the Lord to speak to me through something in that daily Bible reading as I'm praying. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how many times something will, will you know, come out at me. You know, the, uh, uh, some truth or something that it's in that scripture that just pops up at me. But God wants to speak to us through his written word. And that consistency in reading the Bible on a daily basis and reading through the Bible, it's not legalism. It's like brushing your teeth is not legalism. 
everybody appreciates it. I don't know about you, but I've talked with people one-on-one, sometimes very close up, and I'm so grateful when people brush their teeth and when people take a shower and put deodorant on. You know, those are not legalistic habits that should be, oh, I don't want to do that. That's just bondage, you know. No, it's actually for the benefit of ourselves, for our health, as well as the benefit for the people that we are around. And do you know, one time my husband said we were on vacation. He turned to me. He says, have you had your time with God this morning? And I said, no, I was fixing to, though. And he said, oh, okay. <laughs> Why? When you don't have your time with God, ladies, it's like not brushing your teeth or not, uh, you know, taking a shower, putting on deodorant. You start to smell. <laughs> and there are attitudes that come through. Let me just give you a few. There's complaining attitudes, murmuring. What was it? The children of Israel, they murmured, not only in Numbers 13 and 14 does it tell us about their murmuring and they didn't even get to enter into the promised land, but they're brought, it, Paul brings up their names over in the, in the New Testament. He says they missed the whole promised land because they're murmuring. And, you know, you, you have a murmuring attitude. Sometimes you get into a comparison attitude. These are toxic attitudes that try to rob the vision of God. So the toxic attitude of comparison. Oh, I'm not like her. So, you know, I don't think I could do anything or that God could use me. You get, at, at one time, I was comparing myself with some other. I had like about six people I wanted to be like. And, and I was far from it. And I was thinking, I looked at myself and I thought, I just don't look like, any, you know, I don't, uh, you know, looking at my, I was looking at my clothes, my body. I was looking at my, you know, uh, and at that time I was a lot younger and I, 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 I laughed so loud and, and other women didn't laugh loud. And, and I just seemed like I was, uh, I just didn't seem like I fit the, the pattern of a pastor's wife that I thought I needed to fit. I, I, when I spoke, this man walked up to me the first time I ever spoke in church. He said, do you know that you said, and, uh, and you know, 500 times? <laughs> I wrote it down. So, you know, there I go. Then I didn't want to talk. But I thought, I like to talk. <laughs> So, you know, I was comparing myself with other people. And I, and, and I came across a scripture. I opened up my Bible. It just flipped open, one of those John Wesley moments. And I opened it up, and it flipped open. And my eyes landed on 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, do not be unwise as some are comparing themselves one with another. <gasps> and so that just really jumped out at me. It really ministered to me. Because it's so easy to get in that comparison attitude. Even pastors comparing their church with another church. Uh, comparing this and that. We just need to hear from God. I mean, we can learn from one another. We need to learn from what, what other people are doing sometimes. But we have to hear from God. Every one of us has to hear from God to be the people that we, he's called us to be. Then not only those attitudes, but sometimes jealous attitudes. Cain was jealous of Abel. And he killed him. Uh, because his offering was accepted and his wasn't. Well, it's because he did it the way God told him to do it. And Cain didn't. Cain wanted to do it his own way. That song, I Did It My Way, is probably being sung in hell today. 
theme song. Another toxic attitude is just stubbornness, stubbornness. And I'm insisting that it's my way or the highway. It's my way. And I don't compromise. Well, you know, there's sometimes that we need to compromise. It's not just that we are know-it-alls, that, we, that everything we think or say should be the Bible. There's people that think that way. We've got to get away from that. So there are people that are into pride, pride, and they don't even realize it, but they can't seemingly uh, be understanding with other people. And so when that pride, they have problems in their marriage, they have problems at work, they have problems in the church, because their pride is resisting uh, adjusting themselves that maybe other people have some good ideas. Maybe, maybe I'm not the only one, or maybe, maybe I need to adjust. It's like we get prideful sometimes that, that we've always done it this way. When you look at, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 when the, uh, and 2, when the, the people were praying, they were all in one accord as long as they were in prayer. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. 3,000 got saved. A miracle happened in Acts 3. 5,000 got saved. But then Acts 6, murmuring started, complaining started because there were some people getting neglected, some widows, and they prayed. They were criticizing leadership. And so then they, the leadership prayed, and the Lord said, assign men to be over these areas of humanitarian aid, making sure all these needs are being met so that you can give yourselves to the word of God in prayer. And so that's what happened. Then in Acts chapter 15, at another contention among the leaders, all those great apostles, they start getting upset because Gentiles were getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit the way they had gotten it, and they weren't circumcised. We have always circumcised. <laughs> and so Paul and Peter and Barnabas all had to stand up for the Gentiles. Guys, who are we to say they can't get saved and feel the Holy Spirit? Because God did it beyond circumcision. We just need to tell them, abstain from fornication, sexual sins, abstain from eating blood in meats, and abstain from eating meats uh, offered to idols. And if they'll do those things, those are moral laws that will are the, the most important thing right here because now they know Jesus. Now they've, they've got a relationship going for him to deal with their hearts. And so, okay, we agree. We all agree. We'll, we'll come into agreement on that. So every time the Holy Spirit moves, just know this. It won't be too long where the enemy's going to come to try to create toxic attitudes to divide people. Why? Because he knows when a kingdom is united against him, then he's going to have problems. So he seeks to divide houses. He seeks to divide kingdoms. He seeks to divide churches. He seeks to divide families. Why? Because he knows unity is power against him. And it's interesting. I read a quote in um, a little advertisement. It says, a clean engine always delivers power. And it was advertising motor oil in cars. Well, it's the same with, with mines and with uh, hearts, attitudes. When you have a clean engine, you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But you get that engine clogged up with complaining, murmuring, jealousy, comparison, unforgiveness, bitterness. Well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. You know, forgiveness, it's not like you get amnesia. You can still remember. But when you look back on it, you don't have this knife and this anger and this, I hope they burn in hell, you know? But instead, you have a sense of freedom for you and a sense of, Lord, I pray for you to work in their lives, your will, and for your Holy Spirit to deal with that. Because God will deal with it. He'll judge it or he'll give them a chance to repent. He, he, he gives everybody the chance to repent. They're either going to repent or they're going to end up having trouble. So leave it with God. Let God deal with it. But you get free from bitterness because bitterness will just eat away at you and it will destroy vision in your life. So we're talking about toxic attitudes about vision. When God starts speaking to us of things he wants us to do, know this, the enemy will come with toxic attitudes to try to stop the vision. He comes with toxic attitudes to try to divide you. He comes with toxic attitudes to try to stop you from doing what? Fear. Fear is another toxic attitude. Fear paralyzes. Faith energizes. So you've got to guard your heart from fear. When God talks to you, just allow the Holy Spirit to hover over that and to develop it, to let God uh, show you how it's going to come out. Why? Because fear tries to paralyze. It tries to stop you. I want us to stand together because we've got, I know I've gone way, way over time. But um, I pray that this morning, things that I've shared have encouraged you and strengthened you. I believe the body of Christ right now has, has been influenced by toxic attitudes of the enemy. I believe that we as a church, as the, the church, Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to build my church. That's a promise. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why we've got to go back to what God's word says. That means we have to also um, be willing to resist the enemy's toxic attitudes because he's going to try to put fear in your heart, fear that you can't do certain things, fear that, you, that, uh, that somebody's going to come and, and hurt you. Or somebody's going to come and try to... I've seen people, they've gone through things before, and they start thinking, oh, that's just a pattern in my life, or it's a pattern in our family. Break the pattern. Break the generational curse. Break the lies of the enemy. You can do that. You can say, with your words, because your words have power, you can say, I break that power in Jesus' name. It's not going to affect me. I'm not going to let it hold me back from doing what God put in my heart. And Lord, where I felt like that things have, have uh, been a long time happening, I'm getting my faith back out there again. I'm releasing my faith, Lord, that you're going to do what you put in my heart. And I, I'm going to see the Lord work in a supernatural way in things that I've been believing you for. So, Father, today, I thank you today for vision. That, Lord, you are putting inside of us vision. Vision not only for our own lives, but, Lord, vision that will affect others. Jesus, today, I pray, release your vision.
Release your vision in everyone here. Father, anything that's been toxic, that's tried to stop the vision of God, I bind it. I bind the lies of the enemy and I loose right now the spirit of God in every woman in this room to have your way. Lord, supernatural workings. We pray for supernatural workings in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We bind all fear. We bind the spirit of fear and we loose right now faith. Faith and trust. Lord, we trust in you with our hearts. Lord, we thank you. You said our latter days are greater than our former. We believe that. And, Lord, you said that even when we're young, just like David as a young man, you used him. You used him to defeat Goliath, the one that was threatening all the armies of Israel. And yet as a teenager, he got got to be the one that defeated him. You used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, thank you for raising up Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you for raising up the young generation. Thank you for using the older generation that all of us, Father, are going to flow together in this hour. And, Father, we're going to see the glory of God fill this earth like you promised in your word. That, Lord, your glory is going to fill the earth in spite of ISIS, in spite of all the, the news and the threats of the enemy. I thank you today that you are the Lord our God in the midst of us, mighty to save, mighty to deliver, mighty to rejoice over us with joy and rest in your love and joy joy over us with singing, that, Lord, you hear our prayers, and, Lord, our prayers are effective. We believe that you are not finished with your church. You're not finished with, Lord, your church universal. And, Lord, I pray today supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles. I pray for supernatural, Lord, intervention, supernatural, Lord, use of your people. Use us, Father, as your voice. Use us to challenge Goliaths. Use us, Father, in this hour, in the way that you desire to flow through your people. In Jesus' name. If you're here today with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're here today and you're saying, I need to surrender my life today to Jesus, could be that you did it way back but you need to do it again. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you are. Before we leave out of here, we want to pray. If you are here today and you're saying, I need to let go of toxic attitudes. There's been a toxic attitude that I realize that's been trying to hinder my life and the vision that God has wanted to do in my life. If that's you, lift your hand. I've had some toxic attitudes. I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to me about. Just lift your hand. All over the auditorium, different ones are lifting their hands. Don't be afraid. We're going to pray and come against that because God, God is faithful, who is promised, who also will do what he's put in your heart. And right now, we are going to release our faith. This is your day of freedom. You're not going to let that hold you back anymore. So those that have your hands lifted, I want you to lift both hands. Lord, this is their surrender. This is their faith. Lord, you said, lift up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. Lord, without strife, driving, striving or without a, a doubt, Lord, in our heart. Lord, today, you see every one of these hands. Lord, they believe. They believe that your Holy Spirit has spoken into their hearts things that you want to do. And today, I bind every toxic attitude of the enemy that's tried to stop your plans and purposes. We bind you, devil. We cast it down in the name of Jesus. I want you to say this out loud with me. Jesus, I believe 
your plans for my life, for my family, are good, not evil, to give us a future, to give us hope. Your plans for our church are good, to give us a future, to give us hope. Your plans for the body of Christ are good. You said you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against us. I believe you. Today I receive vision, fresh vision in my heart. I cast down every lie of the enemy. I resist you, devil. I submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus. I believe as I humble my heart, as I release my faith with God, that you, Lord, are going to work supernaturally in my behalf, in behalf of my family, in behalf of the church. I believe this is the hour of the outpouring of your spirit and a move of your spirit through your people, and I'm one of them. Have your way in me. Use my life for your glory. Work miracles in my life and through my life. In Jesus' name I pray. I believe. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, as we're closing today, I want to sing this song. There can be miracles when you believe. Sing it with me. Let faith arise. God cannot fail. Who knows what miracles? Who knows what miracles you can God's going to work miracles in your life. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, I think you had your good word for each other, right? God will. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Well, I'd like you just to take a seat for a minute. Uh, We want to bless Pastor Sharon. And I know that all of you have really been encouraged this weekend. Some of you spoke with me at the breakfast this morning, the words that she shared last night really ministered to your life. And uh, I believe that we've been blessed because God has been here in our midst today. Would you say that that's true? And, uh, you know, all the things I know sometimes uh, 
<clears throat> as a speaker or the one sharing, you feel like, I just have so much to give. I just love to sit and hear what God is pouring out. How many of you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes. We need it. How many of you know you needed this? And no, you could be out shopping. You could be out doing a lot of things. But I believe God has done sp something special in the women that were here last night and again today. And uh, I do want you to know that uh, Brenda Hatfield, I received a call this morning that she was in a lot of pain. And, and uh, Justin's not here today because his mother had surgery this morning. And uh, they've, they found the situation that was a twist in her colon. They fixed it. Uh, they th and they are going to watch her for a couple days. So all of you that were praying, and uh, we'll continue to pray for her. Pam Thalls is in, still in Atlanta. They haven't been able to fly her back yet to Indianapolis. But when she gets there, um, this is life-threatening. I mean, she's fighting uh, mesothelioma, and the doctors say there's nothing more they can do. But we're standing. We're speaking the word of God over her. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Father, we touch and agree for Pam. We bind the spirit of infirmity. We loose her right now. We pray for the power of God that raised Christ from the dead to quicken her mortal body right where she is. Lord, let it be for a sign to the doctors. By your Holy Spirit, we pray for a miracle. Lord, there's no distance in prayer. Just like when the centurion came to Jesus and said his servant Lord, Ibro Casado was ill and told him, you don't even have to come to his house. That just speak the word only. And so, Father, right now, we speak the word that, Lord, Ibro Kashandraba, you sent your word to heal her and deliver her from all destruction of the devil. So today, we declare she's delivered. And, Lord, that Ibro Casado, her body begins to turn. And, Lord, healing comes to her now. In the name of Jesus, wholeness, restoration. You said you would restore health, you would heal her wounds. We pray that total restoration of health in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all need a healing miracle right now? Stand up right where you are. And I'm going to ask believers, reach your hands out to them right now. Touch their bodies. Lord, there's... There's power right now here in this place. We bind the spirits of infirmity. We take authority over it now. We bind you, devil. We bind your lies. We declare today, growths leave, disintegrate in Jesus' name. We declare blood be healed, organs be healed in the name of Jesus. We bind the spirits of infirmity. We declare right now healing throughout your body. In Jesus' name, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, in the name of Jesus, be healed, be made whole. In the name of Jesus, release from pain, restoration right now to wholeness. We declare this weekend there's breakthrough. And when you go back to the doctor, the doctor's going to see it. We declare it now you recover. Now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. Um, also, I, before we leave, I want us to thank the people who cooked for us this morning. If you cooked or helped serve, would you uh, stand? I don't know. They might have... 
headed back over. Luann right here. Luann, stand up. We, yeah, give Luann a hand. <laughs> we call it Lu Luannizing. Is that what we call it? <laughs> that, Luanify, yeah, she Luanified everything this weekend. We thank you for her gift, and and uh, we all have gifts that we operate in. Thank God for the ones that can do what she did over there in the blaze. Amen. She makes it look like a banquet hall, and it isn't usually a banquet hall on Wednesday nights. Uh, lastly, but just most important, I'd like you to just stretch your hands out towards Sharon, and let's pray for her, because I believe this season that she's in, she's a gift to encourage churches all over the world, and they have started many churches. We're birthed out of their vision. Uh, it's in our DNA, they said, <laughs> I think. But, uh, you know, it's in the DNA of so many churches out there that need to be encouraged and need to know that God is for them. He's, he knows what's going on. Is it Colleen? Yes. We just pray for your church. We pray for your church, that it will be all God's called it to be in Monticello. It will be a light to that city, that you and your husband will have favor with people, even beyond what you uh, know, even people you don't know yet, that God will put you in a house. God will give you a house for your people, and that that house will be a house of power, and the anointing of God will flow in it, because you've both opened your hearts, and there's young couples I know that have come alongside you, and so we pray for all those families, that everything they have need of will be provided by Jesus, and that church will flourish in that city, and we thank you for it. By the way, there's an empty building over there. My husband and I looked at it. It was a Baptist church, I think. It's out by the ice cream store. Yes, that would be a great house for a great church like yours. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, you want to say something? Well, I just had a thought, yeah, another thought. You know, one of the things that came to me was I felt like I was to speak to depression to leave. Uh, I felt like that there's been like a depression uh, that has tried to come against the minds of people in this, uh, in this area. And so right now, would you join together with me? Uh, and I don't know if anybody here has struggled with that, but uh, I feel like there's been uh, an, a, that the enemy has been subtle and sometimes depression comes because of loss. Sometimes depression comes because of um, uh, sometimes it's a loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's loss of a job. Sometimes it's the uh, loss of a marriage. Sometimes it's uh, just uh, people move to another location. They don't know people. Uh, sometimes people uh, get get hurt and then they go into depression. They get isolated. Um, uh, sometimes women go through this after having a baby. You know, a lady in our church, she went through postpartum depression, and uh, she became so depressed that uh, they were going to put her in an institution. This was before she was a member of our church. And, um, and so uh, right before, or when she got to the institution, right before she got there, she went to a little church, and she really surrendered her life to the Lord. And the, the uh, pastor prayed for her. Well, she went to this um, uh, this institution and they said well before we can enter you in we're going to have to give you a test and so she said I can tell you something has changed in me I don't know what it is but I felt it lift well anyway after she took the test they said you don't need to be here you don't need to be here and they were going to put her away I mean she had gotten to the place where she couldn't cook she couldn't clean her house she couldn't do anything her husband had to get hire somebody to come and help at their house and um but 
all of a sudden, she wanted to cook. She wanted to do things she had not been able to do for a long period of time. So anyway, God healed her of that postpartum depression. I'm just saying, sometimes depression comes in various ways. And people in the Bible, Job went through some time. The psalmist said, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. He went through a moment. It wasn't like a long time. Elijah went through a moment of depression after he'd killed all those prophets of Baal. And Jezebel was after his life. He went into a, po- a time of a moment of depression because he, he just thought, I'm tired. I'm the only one that's been standing for God. God said, there's 7,000 others. You, you know, you, you're just getting in a moment of self-pity. And so anyway, so sometimes depression comes at various people in various different situations. Uh, the man, I'm trying to think of his name. I've got it here somewhere. Um, uh Whitfield, I think. No, it was one Whitfield. Footfield. It was, um, um, what was that? Oh, Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. Everybody heard of Charles Spurgeon. Anyway, he was at the height of his preaching in England, and he preached at this uh, large auditorium, and everybody showed up, and someone yelled fire. And when people started trying to get out of the building, 20-something people died, and, um, and, and there was no fire. It was just a fluke that someone did, and, but 27 people died, and he went into depression, isolated himself, and then it was through meditating the word that he came out of his depression. When we talk about putting the word of God in our lives, I'm telling you, the word of God will lift off of us what the enemy tries to put on us. So right now, I want to pray against depression. And let's bow our heads one more time, if you would. If you've been here and you have had a moment, you've had, it may not be that you've been in along, but you've had moment a moment of depression, just lift your hand right where you are. All right. And um, all right. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I believe God wants to lift that off of you today. And he want, the reason I'm giving vision all through this weekend is because I believe God wanted to open your mind up beyond where you've been. You've been locked into that place of limitations in your mind. So right now, I come against the spirit of depression. I bind you, devil. I bind your lies. And I loose healing into the hearts and minds of those that are here. And Lord, into this whole area. Lord, we speak to that oppressive spirit right now. Be gone. Be lifted. We call breakthrough. Breakthrough today. In Jesus' name, break apart, Lord, the cloud. Lift it apart. And Lord, now bring vision again. Sunshine. The shining of your power, Lord, into every life that's here. Lord, hope. Renewed hope. Hope. You said, Lord, Ibrokashara. Where the psalmist said, why are you downcast, my soul? Hope thou in God. I declare today hope. Hope is rising again in your heart to believe. Hope beyond your circumstances. Hope beyond what has happened. Hope is rising in your heart again to believe. God still has a good plan. God still has a future. God still has hope ahead of you. And he's going to continue to have that ahead of you. He has, he has a breakthrough ahead of you. In Jesus' name, I declare all of that lifted off of you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Wow. Vision. Vision. 
vision beyond you where you are. There was a woman in Oklahoma many, many years ago in the 1800s. Her name was Mary Spucknick, and uh, she got pregnant, and she had already had, I guess, a couple of children, and they were very poor living in an area, and... Um, uh, anyway, her husband had tried to go out and, and uh, make some money somewhere and lost everything. Anyway, it was a very depressed time. So she uh, got pregnant again. She was wanting to abort. She couldn't. Uh, and so um, uh, anyway, she took a bunch of stuff that tried, and, and, uh, and anyway, it ended up killing her. Well, five years later, they discovered oil on that property. And had she waited it out, you know, she could have been a very wealthy lady. And uh, she goes, it's, it's in our Oklahoma history, anyway, about this lady. But the point is, is that don't let depression rob you of your future. There are things you don't know that God has, victorious things, many times ahead that you can't see right now. I'm telling you, the enemy tries to rob us. But Jesus has come to lift us. He said, I'm the glory and the lifter of your head. There are greater things yet to come. Amen. 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 Sorry. No, you're. <laughs> this is why we love her. <laughs> Stretch your hands out. Father, I thank you for sharing. And Lord, I, I know that you have just wonderful things ahead for her. I do thank you for vision. I thank you, Lord, that that she has uh, been a great example to many, many women that have come through Victory Christian Center and have watched on television. I know, Lord, that there's younger generations that need to hear from her and the power of God, the anointing of God, the, the things that God can do supernaturally if they'll latch on to the Holy Spirit of God and grab a hold of vision like what she and Pastor Billy Joe experienced in that church, in their family, and around the world. And I plead the blood of Jesus over her. I thank you for good health. I thank you for strength every day. I thank you for wisdom in leading in that church in Tulsa. Lord, I thank you that that church is, is leading in the world in many IVBIs, in many situations. I thank you for the churches that have been birthed out of there. I thank you for all the people that they're, they're watching over in Victory Fellowship of Memory, Ministries and other places. I ask you, Lord, just to show her where she's to go and when she's to go. And I plead the blood of Jesus because I know the enemy tries to strike out at those who are in the very front. But you have no right, devil. You cannot touch her. She is God's property for this season, called like Esther, for sure in this earth, for many women and men and children. And we thank you for her life. Thank you for sharing her with us this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.